Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom, and think. I'm Edward Bergen, global food and drink analyst, all-round foodie, and I'm a massive hummus fanatic. Ahead of our Series 3 launch of Mintel's Little Conversation podcast, which is just around the corner, we have a brilliant special episode for you. But first, Happy New Year to all of you. May this year be one of resilience and regeneration, a return for hugs, social feasting, my mum's amazing cooking, and the return of listening to podcasts while on your commute. Anyway, Today's special episode is a first for Mintel. We have our very first external guest, but I'll get into that. Plus, I like to build some tension. So it's January, and that means consumers making healthy resolutions. And one campaign has become a highlight for January for a number of years. Of course, it's Veganuary, the annual challenge where many consumers try a vegan lifestyle for the month. This pod will therefore look at the campaign and the future of the plant-based diet. Let's get into it. Um, so today, firstly, I'm joined by my awesome food and drink colleague, Dasha Shaw, and our amazing external guest, um, the CEO of Veganuary, Ria uh, Reberg. Um, please, could you give our listeners a short intro? Um, Ria, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, as you very well said, I'm the CEO of Veganio. I joined them about two years ago. So Veganio was founded by uh, two people in the UK, Matthew Glover and Jane Land. And yeah, I'm very glad to be on board now and excited uh, about what we're going to discuss today. Awesome. Dasha. Great. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to speak to you, Ad, and to Ria, and, and to our listeners about this very hot topic. I'm Dasha Shore. I'm one of the global food analysts here based in the United States. You might not hear that from my accent, but I'm based here in Chicago. And for the past couple of years, I've been covering animal proteins and meat alternatives. And lately, meat alternatives more than anything else especially with the rise of plant-based trend. And I'm very excited to have this conversation today. So I just want to start, um, Ria, you're here with us. So the first thing I want to do is, you know, why are we talking about this? Um, and I wanted to, if you can give us a bit of an understanding of veganuary, um, you know, why does it exist? Which many of us know the answer, but, you know, how far has it come? Um, how many countries? What's the audience like? All those questions that we, we like to know. Um, can you just give us a bit of a background? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it was founded in 2014 by two people at a kitchen table. And uh, the idea, of course, of Veganuary is to encourage people to try a vegan diet in January as a sort of positive and fun New Year's resolution. And back then, uh, so for the first year, 3,000 people signed up and joined and did it. And I think our founders uh, already found that to be like an, an immense amount of people that they hadn't you know, a thought to uh, to join the campaign so early on but now it's of course um, really blown up and just become so much bigger so apart from the UK we now have teams in the US and Germany and Chile in Argentina and in Brazil and then wow. we also work with amazing partner organizations and several other countries in the world so South Africa and this year for the first time uh, we uh, came to France we're working in India and Australia Italy Singapore Sweden and I hope I'm not missing uh, some other country 
is there, but it's really become yeah, a global phenomenon. Um, and still, the UK is sort of our biggest country. We know that 40% of the UK population know about veganuary, so that's certainly much more than in any other country that we're active in. But we're, yeah, we're really glad to see it really tipping over the shore and really reaching a, a, a bigger audience than it had before. And um, we're doing that, of course, with media work, but also on social media, we're quite active. So veganuary was uh, trending on Twitter and TikTok last week for example Absolutely. especially on like such a young audience that we're seeing on tiktok we really see it taking over the hashtag began you had over 100 million views there already so we're really seeing that it's a much bigger audience that's interested in vegan eating now than uh, certainly seven years ago one of the things that um we're always discussing especially dasha and i um I guess again. I, I guess I call myself what, what might be a flexi eater or something. So I love vegan food. Um, I eat kosher food. So I eat kosher meat and so on. But when I'm out of the house, I eat a lot of vegetarian food and vegan food. And growing up, I was stuck with tofu and pasta. Um, and now I'm really not. And it's amazing. Um, are you seeing the growth? And and Dash Dash, if you can um, jump in. Um, after it, are you seeing the growth in in consumers going? I want to be vegan. Um, or is it is it is the driver the fact that it's a challenge or is the driver the fact that consumers are just you know interested in trying something new and looking for innovation and it's quite exciting like what are you seeing the main drivers behind this amazing growth yeah that's a really good question i think it's hard to say so we do do surveys with everyone who signs up with us and we ask them what their reason is for taking part and there's three main reasons that people always stayed, which is for their own health, for animals or for environmental concerns. Um, but I think at the same time, we need to keep in mind that we wouldn't see this kind of growth in vegan eating and you know the, the amount of people that are interested in it. Um, if vegan foods weren't like, much more visible now, much more available now, of much better quality than they were, let's say, five years ago. And, and, and that, of course, is what explains these huge numbers because animals were being hurt by, um, I don't know, industrial farming 10 years ago as well, but not the same amount of people was willing to do challenges like veganuary or try a vegan diet. And that for us at Veganuary is also why corporate engagement plays such a big part in the work that we do here. So we work with hundreds of businesses, among the many fast food giants such as Burger King or Subway. We work with most supermarkets and retailers. We work with restaurant chains such as Pizza Hut or with delivery services a lot this year as well. And we entice and support them in launching new but also better vegan products and menus. So we want to give them a sort of marketing opportunity to make their vegan offerings much more visible and ideally increase uh, the quality over time. And to me, really, this is sort of the main driver of change and where the real enormous impact of the Veganio campaign lies because companies are spending millions of marketing dollars on advertising their vegan products instead of animal products and therefore they're helping spare not only animals lives but also they're protecting the environment on a massive scale so I really see that this is sort of the main reason and driver and that's why we're so excited to see that so many companies are embracing it uh, and not just individuals so to say. Do you see Dasha in this, thank you by the way 
anyway do you do you see the driver in the states you know being as well that's where you're sitting but as as similar to that what what are you seeing out there yeah uh, so jump jumping in on that Tria, i absolutely agree that this is a little bit of a chicken and egg situation for the use of words i think we need initial... to find a different a different um uh, what what was i don't want to say it's a metaphor i don't know <laughs> plant-based <laughs> nugs <laughs> and apparently just just egg substitutes question nice okay so we can really see that initial interest and first meteor offerings like burgers from beyond need or impossible food generating a lot of buzz around plant-based meat substitutes and of course that prompted more investment more innovation in this space and just like Ria mentioned the availability of these products has increased exponentially especially with direct-to-consumer companies in the US here we have Hungry Root we have Vegan Essentials we have grocers online grocers that specialize in curated selections of healthy plant-based vegan options for delivery directly for consumers so with more new offerings convenient delivery consumers are really enjoying all of the options that they can explore and try which prompts subsequent engagement with the category but one thing that i want to really clarify here is that we need to separate veganism from the plant-based trend because these are different things and different motivations here veganism speaking for us especially is very niche a small small fraction of consumers are identifying themselves as vegan and the vast majority are describing themselves as omnivores carnivores flexitarians you name it and i think what's important it's not just one driver it's the multiple drivers like taste and desire for more variety ethical environmental considerations but what Intel data shows and what we're finding is that health is the absolute number one driver for these choices and these changes and of course uh, we'll talk about it more I'm sure COVID-19 has brought health to the fore which is really prompting more consumers to avoid foods of animal origins or to add more plants into their diet so it's not necessarily about eliminating meat but adding more plants because consumers are more health conscious and they see plants as better for you yeah absolutely i think um i think that's it i think it's that that your that what the the difference in the campaign or um the vegan trend five or ten years ago is that maybe it didn't meet the mainstream consumer and and now it really is and it's down to you know taste and quality and health um i just wanted to ask about your data here because i know you're you've you analyze your data um what do you see as the uptake um of your of your campaign of people who but when it comes to february are they still doing it how many stay in eating vegan food or do you get some data of i'm eating more vegan food as a result because that'll be so interesting because i guess as the campaign grows and more noise and more consumers tasting the, the amazing stuff coming out what do you see is that kind of the post january um trend yeah absolutely and we do of course um ask all the participants and a certain percentage of them answers and from those that answer we know that each year about 50% so half of them actually want to stick to a vegan diet wow. um, that is we need to say more the case 
with people who actually sign up with us than people who just say, you know, I'm doing Veganuary, but I don't really get all this additional information that helps me through the month. So Kanta is looking at information there where they're saying that I think it was 18% of people who actually um, stuck with a vegan diet throughout the months of January, whereas mm. it, it's much more than that for people that actually receive our resources and help. So I think there's a distinction to be made there between people that sign up and that we have data on and then the general population that, as you very well said, you know, are mostly flexitarians and, and not necessarily overwhelmingly vegan, of course. So we do see that there is a large percentage of the people that do it with us that want to stick with us. And even the ones that aren't, over 78%, I believe, of them say that they want to try a vegan diet again or that they'll eat more vegan products. So we see that a lot. And that's kind of where the Veganuary Challenge originated as well. The idea is let's just try it for a month. If you like it, if you have a positive experience, if you see, and this is actually the main um, sort of response that we get, is that people find it easier than they thought it was going to be, than they expected it to be. So if you liked it, then stick with it or stick with it, you know, 80% or 90%. So we're quite pragmatic, I would say, at Veganuary. We just feel that perfection is... Um, the enemy of the good. So everyone needs to make a choice for themselves, you know, how much can I sort of um, make a decision of how many animal products do I want in my diet and how much can I maybe drop and take the alternative? And that's really what Veganuary is about, of, of trying to reduce the amount of animal products in your diet and increase the amount of plant-based products, you know, as much as um, a person could imagine doing in their in their personal life. Rear, I couldn't agree more. Um, outside of being a global food analyst, I'm also a registered dietitian. And what I'm finding is it's about presenting people with options and helping them visualize what that vegan or plant-forward plate looks like. Because I think before campaigns like Veganuary, before all of the plant-based options available on the market, for some people, it would have been a little bit tricky to picture that rice and beans plate. And now we have restaurants with colorful plates, upscale cuisine um, here in the United States and, and in Chicago specifically. We've seen so many plant-based menu options pop up. And with that, people can actually see what veganism and what plant-based diet really looks like. And so not surprisingly, even in our own data here in Min at Mintel, we're seeing that people who tried meat substitutes last year and that ate meat substitutes last year, um, almost half um, said that they're eating more of this meat substitutes than the year before, which is really interesting because it means that they're curious and they're continuing to explore and they're sticking with these options that they discovered for themselves. So you got me, you got in getting into this lovely, you know, I guess a, a shift in our conversation to this kind of innovation space. So I'm a great believer that um, consumers, we talked about, you know, whether they've chosen to eat more vegan food because of health. Personally, I'm, I'm quite, um, you know, when I think about consumers, I still think that taste always wins. And that's one of the reasons this category is doing so well. But um, the repeat purchase is down to the fact that this, uh, these categories um, are just getting so tasty. Um, and the idea of taste and also the, how you cook it, the convenience of it, the fact that you can have like a meat meal with a meat-free product that gives you the same joy um, that, that consumers expected from their meat food. And that's the kind of the, 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 
the opportunity that we've seen in this space. So I wanted to talk to you about um, innovation now. And I know really that you're, and I, this is something I always do at Veganery and through the year is follow your Facebook pages because it helps me to see what's launched. And then I go and shout to the Mintel um, product team to go, please go and buy this so that we can have it in our database. Um, but what are you seeing? I mean, you can talk about last year's products too, but what sort of innovation are you seeing coming this year? What should our listeners look out for? And what should the companies that are listening today be thinking about in their innovation strategies? We've seen that in this year's campaign, one of the bigger landmarks has been um, the involvement of the, the major supermarkets uh, in Britain. So I'm promoting Veganu, but very much also speaking about the reasons why it's important to try a vegan diet. So that's certainly been a first. But in terms of really innovations, what we're seeing uh, this year is really a lot of incredible vegan versions of vegan pork pies, for example. Vegan quiches are really uh, taking over this year. I don't know if you've tried any yet, Edward, if so, you you'll need to let us know which ones are your favorite. And um, in terms of innovation, I think the first time this has ever come to Britain is a liquid vegan egg, which I don't think we've seen before. That's quite exciting. Um, but really not just in the UK. I mean, we run a campaign in Germany as well for the second year in a row now, and that's really taking the veganuary challenge on a lot. We have a lot of German supermarkets and discounters on board. I mean, they have things like pudding and cookies now. Um, Subway also launched uh, a, a vegan chicken teriyaki and a, and a cookie wow. for the first time in Germany. We have lasagna and what I'm really seeing take over both in the UK really and um, Germany this year is fish alternatives. Um, for whatever butterfly reason, pea, we see is it butterfly pea that gets used as a fish alternative? I've seen all sorts of ingredients. Yeah, there's, it, really there's all sorts of different ways of um, uh, using the alternatives, the, the different sort of products that we see. I mean, we have plant-based fish cakes from Tesco, Marks and Spencers. I think the vegan wow. butchers and and Asda has a huge range of vegan fish alternatives. So there's a lot there, uh, both both in the UK and in Germany that we're seeing. So I think plant-based fish and egg alternatives are sort of the biggest trends and also gaps right now where we don't really or we didn't really have um, that much um, what we've seen last year is that we were missing a lot of chocolates and, and puddings and ice cream but we're really seeing that that's been indulgence well. is yeah, needed absolutely. right in this comfort food driven world that we live in oh absolutely yeah and I mean I'm just I'm just amazed because I went vegan 10 years ago and really back then there wasn't like veggie burgers that tasted anywhere near to what we used to taste like I mean it was very much cooking at home and I'm certainly not a cooking at home kind of person so it was a few difficult first years but now really I mean I live in Berlin so Berlin I think is quite similar to London in terms of the you know vegan products and innovation that, that we see and it's really kind of vegan paradise now mm. whereas yeah a few years ago the situation was uh, still very different. Dasha you focus on substitutes so what have you seen in 2020? Um, what's cool and new? What should our listeners look out for? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, jumping in on something Ria, Ria was saying, many of the examples like fish cakes and uh, plant-based patties and sausages and burgers and nuggets and all of this innovation like liquid eggs, you could see and track very tangibly the improvement in quality and taste and texture of this alternative because we've been playing around with plant-based patty 
these for years and years and years. And of course, tofu and tempeh has been around for millennia. But as we look at the quality and one of the Mintel's food and drink trends for the year, quality redefined, really speaks to it, is the idea that convenience and that time-saving plus quality are really important to consumers and will only increase in importance as the pace of life hopefully will pick up post-COVID-19. And I think it's very important to look at this landscape and really track the development of taste, texture, but also the convenience of these formats that can be popped in the microwave or toasted quickly without requiring extensive preparation. And one of the areas that I've been excited about is fermentation. And this is something new. In the past, obviously, we've seen all, many products that were made with mushrooms, for example, uh, for example, made with kelp or kale um, or other <laughs> marine plants. But now we're actually seeing fermentation as a technique used to produce some of these meat alternatives. And one of the recent innovation and one of the companies that just raised Series A, so they're very early stage here in the United States, um, is Meaty Foods. It's a small Colorado-based food tech startup. But what's interesting about them is that they're trying to use fermentation to create whole cuts of meat. So we're looking at beef steaks and chicken breasts. This is not cellular agriculture just yet. This is not lab-grown, but it's fermented using mycelium. And so they're able to replicate whole cuts, uh, which was pretty much impossible before because that's why we have minced hamburgers and minced meat. And here they are with their chicken breasts that are not only nutritious, they're high in protein, high in fiber, actually eight grams of fiber <laughs> in their meaty chicken alternatives. Um, but they're also simple when it comes to ingredients. And this is something many companies in this space have been struggling with. If we look at some of the key players uh, their ingredient lists are still pretty long, which might not be acceptable with many consumers in the future. And I know we'll get to that. But what I love about Meaty is the ingredient list is so simple. It's just water, mycelium, some f a natural flavor, onion powder and garlic powder. That's it. And they're able to deliver on the protein deliver on fiber. So this type of innovation is something that I'm closely watching for the years to come um, and really excited about the idea of blending taste and texture and formats that consumers love with the nutritional profile. So on that, um, which first, that's amazing because they're effectively growing using fermentation techniques. Um, but on the idea of of, and I feel like I'm going to be throwing a curveball. Um, and this is maybe where we get into a bit of an ethics discussion. And I want to keep it brief, but we're going to try. There's, we saw the news earlier this year of in Singapore, um, the, I guess the first, you know, safe to eat um, lab cultivated meat. Um, I guess they, I, I, and I'm not a scientist and Dasha, you may be able to explain um, when, you, when we come to you on how they do it, but taking from an animal cells and growing cuts of meat um, and obviously there's all different ways of doing it whether you kill the animal or not it depends on the process and how but I want to ask Ria because we, we wouldn't, wouldn't normally have you on a podcast and I kind of throw you in I might be throwing you into hot water but 
will these products suit the vegan diet? Um, are they okay? Or what, what are you looking for if, if they are to be accepted? I'd love to hear your thoughts if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of debate about this and there will be a lot of debate once, you know, it's more readily available for the actual public. Because as you said right now, it's, it's still way too expensive. And there was just this one sort of media stunt in, in Singapore where a restaurant had, and even just parts of the, the nuggets, I think it was, that they mm. offered were actually love cultivated and it was mixed with with plant-based foods but yeah i mean i think you know many people choose a vegan diet because like not because they don't like meat or because they don't want to eat animal products but they choose a vegan diet because they don't want the harm uh, to animals that's associated with it or the harm to the environment that comes with it so clean meat is uh, certainly in our movement seen as a huge opportunity to virtually still eat the same products that you've grown to love but taking the animal suffering and a lot of the environmental destruction out of the agenda so um, therefore you know it's seen as a huge opportunity to reduce the human footprint uh, on the earth and also to reduce huge amounts of animal suffering. But, uh, and I think that's clear, certainly a lot of vegans are not going to consider it vegan food because it's still meat, it still comes from the animal. And I think we're at this point in time not quite sure is there really going to be no animal suffering involved at all or will there be some animal suffering involved mm. and i think it's completely understandable for someone who lives you know a vegan lifestyle for ethical reasons to say well i'm not going to be eating it but clean meat or lab cultivated meat you know will not be targeted at vegans it will be targeted at meat eaters so it will be targeted at people that don't care about trends such as veganity right now they don't want to eat plant-based options they will insist on eating you know, the real thing the real meat so it's going to be targeted at at this crowd and i think this crowd won't be necessarily convinced by by other arguments because otherwise they, they might have already been convinced but rather it gives them the opportunity to just keep eating the same products that they love but causing a lot less or ideally obviously no animal suffering and a lot less environmental harm. Yeah, to jump in on that, cultured meat is certainly not animal free because there is initial harvesting of the cell using an animal while, of course, keeping that alive. But what I think about um, Eat Just and their first regulatory approval in Singapore is that it really gives me hope for the future, especially as we think about all of the options people will have when it comes to protein. Of course, absolutely agree with Ria that these products are aimed at omnivores. And we know that number one barrier for people eating more plant-based food and meat substitutes is that, especially here in the U.S., people love real meat and they like the taste and texture of real meat and that's why they're not quite open to meat alternatives. But what we're seeing, younger consumers are already expressing interest in all of the different types of protein. And as we think about further into the future, um, environmental pollution plus the hunger issue that we're seeing around the world will create space for cultured meat products, especially if they're able to reduce their prices significantly when they reach scale. And with, as we think about the need of 
For protein overall as a planet, it will only increase as the populations increase. And if cultured meat can offer a sustainable option that is also widely accepted because of its familiar taste and texture, that would be a great innovation to bring into the remainder of the 21st century. One thing to note, though, um, companies like Eat would need to find possibly non better sources to generate the energy that they still require to power their bioreactors and other equipment that they need for cellular agriculture. So it's, there is footprint, and if they can minimize that footprint, there is definitely a promising uh, opportunity for technology in the future. Okay, so on that... Um and the future. Um, and but firstly, this has been amazing. Um, I love the topic, mainly because I love eating the food. Um, I kind of want to just ask you, this is sort of as a close of, does this trend, is it going to continue to grow? Um, and and what does the future hold? Um, Ria, both for your movement and also for the movement, um, because we're seeing amazing change in the last few years. Um, and then Dasha, you're looking after that category. So, um, you know, please uh, give your opinion as well. If this be our, our, our sort of a nice sign off and then we're going to say goodbye to our listeners. Um, so Ria, take it away. Yeah, this is certainly one of my favorite questions because, yes, obviously, I believe veganism is here to stay and, and to grow. And I really also think we don't have another choice. I mean, we will not be able to feed 10 billion people by 2050, let alone, you know, get the climate crisis under control and prevent future pandemics if we don't significantly reduce the amount of animal products we eat. I mean, that's that's a fact by now. I think there's very few people out there in the world that will want to debate that. And um, even right now, there's over 100 million people suffering from hunger, and we would be able to feed, even now, the entire global population if we didn't have an incredibly inefficient food system right now. One that, you know, uses resources such as soy and grains, but not to convert it into food that we as humans eat and to feed the hungry, but instead to feed it to farmed animals so that, you know, enormous amounts of meats are being eaten in, in Western countries. So I think just in terms of looking at the main um, global crises that we're going through as humanity and as a population, we'll definitely need to be more mindful of the foods we eat. And that, that's not to say like everyone's going to go vegan overnight. We, we all know that's not going to happen. But I think just significantly reducing the amount of animal products that we're eating in, in Western uh, countries is certainly going to help. And I think, you know, the great news with all of this is, and I don't want to sort of end on such a <laughs> negative, um, doomy topic, but I mean, we can all eat really delicious, as you said, Edward, really amazing varied food now. Like we don't have to really miss anything when we go vegan. There's incredible alternatives out there. And I think year on year, it, it's going to keep growing and we're going to see more innovation happening. So it's and that's what many people say. It's, it's not necessarily sort of something negative or that you're missing something, but it's it's something new that you're learning and you're going to find new and um, sometimes even even more delicious um, products that you're going to be able to put into your mouth. 
us. And I think that's something exciting and something to look forward to rather than feeling like, you know, we're going to be missing out in the future or like the, the good years are over. I think quite, quite the opposite is true. I think we're going to see incredible innovation and we're going to be able to align our food system more with our values because I think no one wants to support environmental destruction and animal suffering. So I think we're going to be able to align our values more with what we're actually able to see in the supermarkets and, and order in the restaurants. And I'm really excited about it, to be honest. <laughs> we are too. Dasha. Yeah. So what I'm really excited about in the future is just the variety of option consumers will have, whether it's meat from animals, plant-based alternatives, or even protein from cellular agriculture. And while not all land um, in the world can sustain growing plants, there are definitely options available when it comes to protein. And I love to say that... Um, similar to the <laughs> book title what got you here won't get you there and there is a bit of a strategy shift that will need to happen when it comes to meat substitutes specifically especially as more competition gets into the market and one of those strategy shifts is in addition to that taste and texture improvements in all of the variety of formats we will see meat substitutes actually proving their health proposition. If we're saying that health is so important to consumers, the future of the meat substitutes and possibly of the plant-based diets, because it has to be convenient and tasty, but also health, healthy, will depend on that nutritional proposition, proving that they're actually nutritionally comparable or superior, not just mim mimicking meat, and cleaning up those ingredients Ingredientless, simplifying. And lastly, I know we haven't touched on this uh, too much, but I do think as we are still battling COVID-19 pandemic and we are facing recessionary economies, price, so quality in terms of dollars spent, quality and value in terms of convenience and taste and nutrition will all have to be <laughs> delivered through this product. But I'm very excited because then consumers will have so many choices and so many options to incorporate into their diet. And maybe it will in inspire some dedicated meat eaters to incorporate some plant-based patties into their dinner and choose more responsibly produced animal proteins. Wow, brilliant. Um both of you thank you so much um, what a way to kick off our year um, especially with a topic that is pretty relevant right now um, Ria thank you so much for your time uh, and it's been as I said at the beginning it's been a bit of an honour um, for you to be our first external guest and, and I guess when Dasha and I first discussed having you um, considering we both talk about this topic a lot it's awesome um, so thank you both for joining thank you for having us I thought it was really interesting getting your, your feedback and input there thank yeah. you <laughs> awesome thank you it's it's such a pleasure to just be here and have this conversation I wish we had another hour <laughs> for this discussion oh, oh, absolutely 100% um, I could talk about this the whole time because it, you know really it goes straight into my stomach because I quite like enjoying eating everything um, so uh, to our listeners once again please stay safe and look after each other and most of all eat well um please go and try some of the new foods that are coming out this month um there's a lot out there um i just tried a vegan um 
what was it like a pastrami sandwich from marks and spencers like a new york deli sandwich awesome um try it out anyway um so thank you for listening uh, make sure to subscribe to rate reviewers and all the platforms that you can get podcasts um, we are uh, this is our new series so expect lots more episodes coming up on some amazing topics that we're going to be covering this year um, across you know FMCG industry not just food and drink um, and if you want to know more about Mintel check us out on Mintel.com Ria how do we find out about Veganuary? Veganuary.com <laughs> brilliant um, and I know their Facebook um, and clearly TikTok um, and other social media platforms platforms are full of very tasty ideas um, and some amazing facts and figures about this whole industry so check them out too um, otherwise um, we will catch you next time for Mintel's little conversation thank you very much for listening Music.